0: This podcast is a collaboration between Costard and Touchstone Productions and the Dads from the Crypt podcast.
1: I'm Vincent Price, and you're invited to my party in the house on Haunted Hill. Where so far, the ghosts have murdered only seven people. So won't you come and make it eight?
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Hell Not to Make a Movie podcast. I think I'm Alan Katz.
2: And I'm still Gil Adler.
0: After I uh, parted company with the, the Tales from the Crypt creative team, they went on to make a, a series of, of horror movies under the banner Dark Castle. I know bits and pieces of the Dark Castle story, but I really don't know the whole Dark Castle story, so we're going to tell the Dark Castle story, if only so I can finally learn the Dark Castle story. I know Tells from the Crypt finishes, you all begin to do perversions of science. Where does the idea for Dark Castle come into it, uh, yeah, relative to perversions of science?
2: Well, Perversions of Science was a, was a show <clears throat> that we thought might be a replacement or an additional show uh, from Tales from the Crypt. We used artwork by Suriyami, a very famous Japanese artist, and we said that would Sometimes be our Crypt it Keeper. it seems
1: like all men think about is sex. Not that I'm complaining, mind you.
2: Bob and I started working on what that show would be, um, and then the next thing I knew, Bob was telling me he's going to do Contact, and it was up to me. Uh, To figure it out. And that's how that show, Perversions, got going. And then I wrote and directed the pilot. And we had a season of a dozen shows. Um, During that time, uh, Joel and Bob and I were talking about horror movies and how to make horror movies. And, you know, Dick Donner in the past had uh, rights to the Hammer Library. And he wanted to do horror movies with the Hammer Library. And I don't think he really got around to it. I think he was so busy making big, big movies for Warner brothers that he never really got around to doing it. However, we started talking about um, the castle, the William Castle library. And wouldn't that be a good idea to take some of those IPs and, and make, you know, remake them. And so we started looking into that and uh, thought, yeah, this is interesting. This, this, this could work. And then we spoke to Terry Castle who's William Castle's daughter and we will and, meet her shortly again we've
0: uh, as, as she she will contribute her part of the story to this story
2: yeah and so and so we we asked her what she thought of it she thought and she thought it was a great idea and and so that was sort of the germ of it and then uh you know we looked into okay what which is always the problem what's the first one you do because if, if the first one you do isn't great then there's no second one so we we were trying to figure out okay what what would be the the most interesting and and accessible to our our current audience on Tales from the Crypt? Um, and so we came up with uh, the first episode that was directed by uh, not episode but the first movie that was directed by Bill Malone. Yeah, the House on Haunted Hill. House on Haunted Hill. Um, that
0: and, and you all thought that would be the most accessible because.
2: Oh, gee, I don't even remember. I, I just think it was so it was an easy story to tell. Uh, people get invited to a haunted house. And what the reason why they got invited to the haunted house is not the reason why they got invited to the haunted house. So it was very simple and it was very clear. And it also gave us an opportunity uh, to have about five or six people in the cast, which we thought, oh, that's going to be interesting to cast and and that'll help sell it as well and so it wasn't small like a three character or a two character play it was quite big in terms of scope uh, and, and it and it gave us some one locations so basically we could build some of that and and go to a location and
0: as 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 you and bob and joel discussed the idea of a dark castle okay and you you it became dark castle i assume because it, it was going to be you know the the uh, the launching pad was the william castle um canon yeah um did was there an an idea of the budget how much these movies were going to cost no
2: because we still didn't know how we were going to finance it um and joel really had that under control because he said look i'll get the money from warner brothers and we'll just figure it out We'll just we'll just figure it out.
0: But and so sh- but there must have been some parameters to you know you weren't gonna well, make a a 50 million, 60 million dollar.
2: No, we, we weren't gonna make a a million or two million dollar picture, and we weren't gonna make a fifty million dollar picture. So we knew it was somewhere in there. Was it gonna be 10? Was it gonna be 25? Yes, somewhere in there, and that would be a conversation with both Warner Brothers. And at one point there was some conversation about independently financing them, uh, which which Kind of disappeared very quickly because Warner Brothers stepped up right away. Hmm. So
0: Warner Brothers was very confident in, in 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 the people that they were about in this new venture and what this new venture wanted wanted to make. Yeah,
2: they they very much liked uh, the team. They very much liked the concept, and they really, they thought you know we were being responsible and saying oh these are not going to be fifty million dollar pictures. These are going to be you know in the zone of what they can appropriately afford. And make money on. And Terry was very approachable. Terry was great. Terry was very approachable, very collaborative. Um, I would call her anytime I had a concern or an issue about about the the estate. Um, similar to the way you and I dealt with Bill Gaines, in that we were very concerned that more than anybody, the partners, HBO, we con- we were concerned Bill Gaines liked and not only liked, but loved our Tales from the Crypt episodes, and that they were respectful of the original IP that he and his dad created. I felt the same way with Terry. I wanted to make sure that her father would would be laughing and rolling around and saying, wow, what a great show. Other people had approached, well, let me put it as a question. Had other people approached Terry? I think she was approached earlier before us by different people. And I think our strength was, you know, it was the three of us. We had Tales from the Crypt, which was running very, very successfully. Bob, you know, was a very successful director and Joel was a very successful producer. Um, I think it made a lot of sense.
0: Surely. And uh, it certainly turned out for a while. The The first, as we know, all, all movies are a, a trial by fire and house on haunted hill as we will describe was a trial by fire but it did well enough that there was a second
2: yeah the the movies did very well the, the ghost ship did very well as as in as well you know so we were moving along and uh you know we made the first one in los angeles and then we decided to make ghost ship in australia and I certainly, you know, was interested in making more, but right after finishing Ghost Ship, I got a call from Lorenzo de Bonaventura, who was president of Warner Brothers, saying, you know, we want you to do bigger pictures, come back, and we'll talk about that. And so when Gothica but
0: but but Joel wanted you to do Gothica and which because yeah. Gothica was the gonna be the next Dark yeah. Castle
2: picture. Yeah. Yeah. And and so I remember I got a call in Australia from Lorenzo, and then 15 minutes later, I got a call from Joel saying I got our next movie, and I had to tell him, well, you know, when I come back, they've already sent me a script, and I'm looking at it, and that's a story for another time. But that was my last picture with with Dark Castle Go Ship. and your last picture with Joel Silver. It turned out yes, and probably my last conversation with Joel Silver. <laughs>
0: And that is a a podcast for another time. Actually, we've we've done we've told that story and we'll we'll link that we'll we'll link to that in in our notes on this one. But uh, that said, uh, here's the rest of the First up, Terry Castle, remembering when she got the good news that she was remaking her father's movies.
3: Good news and I have bad news. The good news is it's greenlit. You're making it. The bad news is you're making it with Joel Silverman.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: i didn't know what he meant i had no idea yeah
0: Yeah, you but were the back The in-
3: interesting part of the entire thing is now i know house on a haunted hill is in the public domain wow like orders didn't even have the rights i mean it's, it's in the public domain they claim to have the rights but they right. don't <laughs> what happened is <clears throat> there's many 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 different libraries because it was done with library allied artists and then that was bought and it, yeah, it, yeah 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 times but um <clears throat> oh I, no, I didn't own the rights to it either gil it was literally in the public domain somebody just registered it incorrectly and it fell in the public domain yeah. and warner brothers didn't re, i mean i am not. they probably knew but they didn't say anything i mean really anybody out there come yeah. on let's do a, i want to do a prequel to it I thought it was so well-written. I mean, you can really tell that Rob White had a problem with women, <laughs> but it's, it's really well-written. They're both really well-written. <laughs> and I thought Dick Dick Beebe did a really good job too on House on Haunted Hill, the remake.
2: Yeah, I did. it took a while to get there though. I mean, with all of these kinds of scripts, to be respectful of the original, which we were really, really concerned about, and yet make it contemporary for an audience today, you know was was not an easy task. And we went through a lot of different imaginations about how to treat character and how to treat women and how to treat the the horror in so many different ways to get to where we finally got to,
3: except for when we were shooting, I remember there wasn't there wasn't really an end until somewhere in the middle. yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was another. We'll do it. We'll fix it with an adR line.
2: Yeah, right. Well, in the sequel, we'll explain how it ended.
3: (laughs) The reason I actually thought about House on Haunted Hill and remaking it is because I was living in New York. And I would be going to these small mom and pop shops and like video shops. And I'd be like, House on Haunted Hill, top three video rental. I'm like, how is that possible? You know, to me, that blew my mind.
0: Hmm. To direct House on Haunted Hill, Gil pushed for and got Bill Malone. Gil started working with Bill way back on Freddy's Nightmares. Bill directed a couple of great Crypt episodes, including Only Skin Deep, arguably one of Crypt's best episodes ever. Bill was a huge fan of the original Castle movies. He understood them, understood how to make them work, and that made him a perfect choice to direct Dark Castle's first movie. House on Haunted Hill... How do you feel about that? As you as you stand here today,
1: uh, I'm proud of the work. It was a horrifying experience. That's the best way I can put it. It was absolutely a nightmare for me to make. Uh, but I'm proud of I'm proud of what I did with it, and proud of our work together on it, and, and so forth. But it was what
0: what made it challenging.
1: Um, there was a guy who. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who is a uh, large and large and in charge who made life a living hell. You know?
0: I wasn't that overweight. What Joel Silver stories do you have? <laughs> uh, and, and everyone loves Joel Silver stories.
1: Well, I'll tell you actually the, no, Joel would wanna have a discussion every lunchtime and which I then lost my appetite. So I was like, uh, and it's probably why I got really sick during the show. I don't know if you remember, I caught the flu and just like was. Nearly- yeah. And if you're a director, there's no such thing as taking time off for, you know, being sick. There's just no such thing. You cannot be sick. So, you know, so uh, I, you know, patched myself together as best I could and continued, but the, no, I mean, Joel made it a, a living nightmare, you know, to make that, that show. Was and, he always he was challenging your your decisions? Um, no he, he it's just it was a climate of paranoia. Everyone that you talked to on that show, uh, it was just a nightmarish. It really was. I mean, I felt every day when I went to to work, I felt like I was swimming in acid. That's the best way of putting it. Uh, Yikes. You know, and i'm sure Gil was probably feeling the same way i mean it's oh yeah yeah, yeah it's it I mean, was just, the,
2: the, the only the only redeeming part of that was jeffrey rush was such a great man to work with
1: he was he was he was great and uh the crew no the ca- the cast was great and yeah. you know the crew was all on edge and uh, it was just uh you know uh yeah it was uh, very, difficult, well, very wh-
0: difficult why why was the crew on edge
1: I guess because Joel was doing the same thing to the crew that he was doing to, you know, to, yeah. to myself and everyone else. So, you know, Joel um, would
2: love to come in and rebel rouse. He would just like to stir it up and stir it up, and then walk oh, yeah, he'd
1: the say, "Oh yeah," he'd come in at lunchtime, and go, "Oh, so and so doesn't like what you're doing," and da, da, da. and you know, he'd like he's would try and start some argument or something like that. Yeah, and,
2: he would just stir it up. He used to do that all the time with us. Yeah, and and. Uh, and it took me years to figure out, oh, that's what he's that's what he's about. That's what he yeah. wants to do. that's that gives him power yeah yeah um, until kidding. I realized that and then worked figured out how to work around that um it was it was painful. I used to have you know terrible stomach problems and
1: well like I, would I grow up well, actually, uh, uh, I, I don't want to go into gory details. let's say uh, about a pint of blood came out of me during the making of that.
0: Wow. and
1: uh, one day and uh wow really yeah during one day and i said okay yeah and this is sort of towards the end of the shooting i said okay my thing all i, all I need to do is survive this uh, Jesus uh, my actually God. my my best moment on that entire film was we were shooting the scene down where um uh it's when chris katan is at the bottom of the hill it, I, we shot it up by griffith park and all the, the the cast is coming up to to go to the house, and it was the nighttime. And I remember Joel came up and he goes, "I'm not very happy about what's going on here, and I'm not happy with the way the show looks." And I looked at him, I said, "Joel, you know what? I've been thinking the same thing, you know." And I said, uh, "You know, I'll tell you what. I'll stay on until you find another director." I said, "I'll, I'll, I'll just you, you find another director, and I'll stay on until then." And he suddenly started backpedaling, you know, and then, uh, you know, he pretty much after that left me alone until the end of the shoot. Uh, And then, of course, post-production, it was another nightmare. So,
0: Despite crappy reviews, pretty different for most horror movies, House on Haunted Hill did okay. Well enough to keep Dark Castle in business. So they went to work on 13 Ghosts, the next Castle remake, and then Ghost Ship, Dark Castle's first venture beyond remakes, of Bill Castle films. The updated version of 13 Ghosts was going to be special effects heavy. While Steve Beck hadn't directed a feature film before Gil, Joel, and Bob hired him, he had directed plenty of commercials that relied on special effects. And he'd worked at ILM for George Lucas, where he did great special effects work on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, The Abyss, and The Hunt for Red October. Dark Castle then decides to do 13
2: Ghosts, What drew you to Steve? His experience and his background and the visual effects side of his capability. And we had a talk about the script. I remember this is and he had a vision and he had an idea about it. And, you know, a lot of guys when they're starting out and making movies um, and they come in for an interview like that, they don't have that idea. They're they're just there to to try to get you to convince you that, yeah, you should hire them to do the movie. Um, but with Steve, you know, he had a real, he had a real idea about it. I mean, and that's, and that's indicative of those sets. You know, I remember going onto those, being afraid to go onto those sets because I was afraid I was going to walk into a wall or walk through the wall <laughs> and either destroy my body or destroy the set. How sacred was the original concept?
4: Um, well, I, I have this, um, sort of philosophy, to be honest with you, that once you, uh, observe something for reference sake, it sort of settles into your psyche and you're not able to actually ever remove it enough to have it not influence what you're doing. So I didn't watch the original movie until we actually got done filming. Hmm. Um, but I had understood it was it was sort of semi-comical and it was semi-light in, in relationship to the other um, William Castle films. So we also were sort of taking it from a perspective like this is this is about a little bit more than just a horror film. This is kind of a family. It was a family suspense film at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And what happens to one father when he loses control over you know the care of his children? Um, and so we wanted to keep it. You know, so there was a balance that I wanted to strike, making sure that the humanity involved was well represented. So you would give a shit. You know, and it wasn't just a bunch of people running around with some guy with a big knife chasing you all over the place, um, which are very effective. And it's a very effective, um, you know, motif. But I felt that there was just something more in relationship to the original film that could be plumbed as well. And it could be, uh, you know, uh, made different. Um, it just seems to have, you know, struck a chord. They wanted to do 3D as part of the experience, so when you put the glasses on,
0: uh, I see.
4: in the film, and actually you were already wearing uh, stereographic glasses in the theater. When you put the glasses on in the story, suddenly the film would take on this ultra, you know, this extra dimension to it. But during the time, you have to keep in mind that 3D, of course, has become fairly prevalent now in, in theatrical, you know, release. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, at the time, the same projectors weren't in any theaters. So in trying to go that route, almost every theater had to be retrofitted to 3D and it just wasn't financially feasible. So that part got dropped, which is unfortunate, but that's okay, the film still played.
2: What he presented to us in terms of what he saw after conversations with you uh, sort of blew us away. And and we said, "We, we really have to take this shot. The house is a character. Oh yeah, yeah.
4: It and is, it's a good so, character. Sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, how is the house represented on the page? You know, is it anything like on the page? Like, like what was imagined? Because one thing about Thirteen Ghosts is the special effects are spectacular.
1: Well,
4: you have to kind of keep in mind that we actually had a fairly limited uh, effects budget, so most of it was practical or was just in camera.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Right. It, the only effects that we had to really kind of hammer through were the exteriors of the house primarily uh it just didn't exist it, all the exteriors were you know just shot outside the windows on the on that huge set uh that huge stage that we had in uh, in vancouver but for the most part you know all the stuff interior it was all in camera or it was uh you know it was handled physically
0: you made this in vancouver mm-hmm. yeah that's
4: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we had a great time it was it was a great crew worked their asses off yeah
2: uh how long did did production last
4: was that nine weeks kill was that the shoot
2: yeah i don't remember was it 45 days was it that long
4: i i think it was somewhere around there yeah so the first half of the 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 set shooting was uh the house was made to look like the upper floors
1: mm-hmm. and
4: then at the end of that schedule we blew the house up and then while they were resetting the house, we went back to the um the auto graveyard and shot that sequence. Oh wow. Came back and then we did the basement after that because the house had been redressed and reset for the basement. That was the lineage of effect. So um yeah, that's that was that was a schedule. I'm, I'm, something tells me it was about nine, about nine weeks. Yeah. yeah. And then we had one day of pickup shots, and that happened on September eleventh, two thousand one. Holy cow! Yep, that was a that was an interesting day.
0: Yet another day to live in infamy. Yeah, Jr. Bourne gets definitely the one of the coolest <laughs> deaths of anyone in any movie anywhere. <laughs> that is, that is so fucking cool. God, I wish I thought of that.
1: I was just kidding before. A little more humor. <laughs>
4: Cutting people in half, apparently. Um I think at the end of the day, you know, we saw that's such day, a
0: particular out. way to slice. Look, you you, you usually pick you right through the trunk, you cut them right in half, they fold in two, but <laughs> to go to dissect them right, right down the middle from head and to was, toe. He to go to go order, you know, we
4: had to, you know, get it to go. Um I, I, I hope the word delicious suits. is not inappropriate. <laughs> we saw him the other day on suits and we were just shocked. He was still playing a lawyer. It was the funniest thing. It's mm. Like, hey, there's TR. So, so yeah. it just,
0: just won't take a take a hint. Why do you think 13 ghosts did not get the love it, it, it
4: should have got? Because it's it's beginning to find love now. It's got this huge cult following now. It's wild. Um I've gone to a couple of fan fests that were 13 ghosts premieres, and just like these theaters are packed with people. Um, I you know, I don't know. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to tell why uh, otherwise i just think there's just you know it's it it just just still holds together It still it still you know resonates with people and i think they appreciate that the humanity again involved with it um you know so yeah, i can't explain much more guilt do you have any ideas why not a clue If <laughs> <laughs> well, figure that shit out huh
2: <laughs> yeah I mean, I'm grateful that they won it, and I, I'm always asked about it. I'm mm-hmm. always asked about the sets and about some of the shots that you created, mm-hmm. um, but I don't, you know, I, it 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 befuddles me why people react the the way they do sometimes.
4: Yeah, I don't know. It's it's, it's strange, but yeah, it's it's it seems to stick around.
2: Yeah. The experience of
0: making 13 Ghosts didn't quite sour you on, on the movie making business. So you you said yes to making Ghost Ship.
4: I had an okay time on 13 Ghosts. I had fun. We had a good time up there. Um and so when Gil came to me with a second script, which was actually called Chimera, um mm-hmm. it was remember it was it was a great script. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, the unfortunate thing that happened in that situation was that the studios demanded a complete rewrite after 9 11 and what was Chimera? It was a, a, a nautical tale, but it was far more like um, Treasures of the Sierra Madre. Sure. On a ship. And it was about a bunch of down on their luck kind of schlubs that find this ship and find this gold. And then they All start eyeing each other like, okay. And they start picking each other off. And you're not sure who's doing the picking. And there was really no supernatural uh, component to it. And then when uh 9-11 happened, there was a note from the studios that said, um, we don't want sort of an anti-hero movie anymore. We want something that's got actually a, ends on a high note. So they went and made it supernatural and changed a bunch of stuff. And we still made the movie, but I think the original script was far better than the uh Yeah,
0: that kind of makes it it, it it makes it just a haunted,
4: haunted ship. Yeah. It kind of does. Mm. Uh, kind of did, kind of, you know, but um, you do what you're asked of, so you do.
0: Having been there and having been forced to do that, yeah, you you sometimes the, the people in suits make the most terrible I'll, I'll use the word creative decisions and the repercussions don't
4: fall on them. Well, uh, you, you could say that about almost every aspect of life. You just have to find a way of taking the opportunities that you're given and, and doing the best you can with them and, you, and try and move forward. I mean, you are a much I mean, nicer person than I am. <laughs> and, you know, at the same time, I have to be perfectly honest that, you know, Gil watched my back so well on that production and he took so many slings and arrows that were directed for us. It was, you know, he, what? he was our, he was our,
0: I yeah. know nothing. I know nothing. <laughs> what happened on this fucking movie? What started at the beginning? Uh, well, I mean, is... at the end
4: of the day everybody everybody was a little resentful that, you know, they shuffled the scripts the way they did and didn't tell anybody and then we were just sort of given something completely different and saying godspeed. And it was like, well, what happened to respect and collaboration and actually asking for our opinion? Hey, And, yeah, and we had yeah, that yeah. and
2: we had that we had that concern from cast, the cast as well.
4: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, had,
2: and also, I think before all this, you know, when this all came about, when I first got my hands on the script, you know, Lorenzo de Bonaventura, who was running the studio at the time, said to me, so we, we want to make this in Australia. And I'd never been to Australia. I, I barely knew where it was. And <laughs> and he said to me, have you ever do you know Australia? I said, no. He goes, I want you to go to Australia. That's all he had to say And he, yeah. for a week, for a week. And I'm thinking to myself. I'm going to Australia for a week and they're paying for it. So I I met the people from village roadshow down there. And within a week we toured Melbourne and the gold coast and Sydney and all these other places. And, you know, Lorenzo said, I want you to come back and tell me how to make the movie because we have a limited budget. And the night before I came back, I had no idea what to say. And I thought, my God, I, you know, what am I going to say to him? There's no, I don't know. And then on the plane coming back, I'm getting more and more frightened about this meeting and th- came up with a couple of ideas. And then when I landed, and I got into the car, the phone rang and it was Lorenzo saying, go home and take a shower. Come right over to the studio. I want to see you right away. Do you know the story, Steve, at all?
4: No, uh, this is all news to me. So,
2: so, so I go into his office and he's looking at me. He goes, so how, how do we do this? And I said, well, I have a couple of ideas, but I'm not sure you're going to like it. And he said, tell me. I said, well, I don't want to ever shoot on a boat, and I don't ever want to shoot on the water. And he looks at me and he goes, this is a movie called Ghost Ship, right? And I went, yeah. And he goes, but we're never gonna be on a boat or on the water? And I said, no. And he looked at me and he said, but will, will we think we're on a boat and on the water? And I said, of course, it's, a, it's called Ghost Ship, it has to be. And he said, so, so you think you can make that happen? I said, I think that's the only way to try to make it happen. And in the room, to his credit, he said, okay, you know what the budget is, right? And he told me the number. And I said, yeah. And he said, go make the movie. I think that's one of the few times that's ever happened to me where, you know, and, of course, I walked out of his office going, holy shit, what did I just get myself into? <laughs> what was I because, thinking? <laughs> yeah, how, do, how are we going to do this with ever shooting on a boat and, and never shooting in the
4: water? I think we spent one day on the water filming the tug doing something. Uh, right. Just beauty shots for the opening sequence or something. And well, we a- built this We built
2: this big barge. Yeah. And then we brought it down to the spit, this area called the spit in the water. Mm-hmm. And, and we shot that. And that, there was, at one point, a guy has to jump off of a, a of the ship into the water, and I think we got that there. Yeah,
4: yeah, um, yeah. But but
2: it was but it was against just just backing. It was nothing there. We put that all in later. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we never shot on a boat. We never shot in the water. Yeah. And you brought also brought in a wonderful DP.
4: Yeah, Gail Tattersall. Who Gail He did thirteen ghosts as well. So he was brought Gail down with us, and yeah. He Just repeated his brilliance one more time. But in Australia, um, we had a great production designer down there, Grace. Remember Grace?
2: Yeah, Grace Walker.
4: Yeah, just a fantastic guy. And he yeah. really knew how to stretch the dollar. He just made yeah. amazing sets, and we had a whole bunch of them. Yeah, he, but but job. Gail,
2: but Gail, you know, would, would look at me and I go, So Gail, we're not gonna shoot on the water, we're not gonna shoot on a boat. And he would and he looked at me and said, and this is called ghost ship. I said, "Yeah, <laughs> don't worry about that. Don't worry yeah. about the title. Title might change." Yeah. But right. to his credit, he figured it all out. He figured yeah. it out with you how to how to get the reflections and how to make you feel like we're on a boat. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, he did a great job. yeah, yeah, as he continued to do, we worked together quite a bit, Galen.
2: Special effects, you know.
0: No, well, yeah, it's right.
4: Yeah,
1: right.
0: Aside from the fact that you weren't making the movie that you really wanted to make, what were the other hardships that you encountered down under?
4: Uh, you know, there wasn't a lot. I mean, the crews down there were fantastic as well. Um, mm. Everybody got through all of all the days that we had to deal with uh, again, you know, Grace's uh, contribution to the film was just amazing. Um, Even we even did the visual effects down there as well. Uh, Dale, good, good dude do good, excuse me, Dale, good, do good. Uh, and his company were right there in, um, in Brizzy as well. And so we were kind of all wrapped up in one location, which, which made it very, you know, convenient. Um, there really wasn't much more you could ask for. It just, it, it happened and it happened very well. The one thing, the one, the one thing that didn't happen on ghost ship that happened on 13 goes is on ghost ship, Joel Silver was much more available. On Thirteen goes, he was busy making The Matrix, so that was uh, made for an interesting road.
0: That was to your advantage that Joel, that Joel was otherwise
4: engaged. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. It was. What?
0: What did you? What was your experience of the of the Joel like?
4: Uh, it's an acquired taste. As, uh, as people <laughs> could, could confess. Uh, it's maybe having a little too many jalapenos in your salsa. Uh, it just depends. He, I mean, at the end of the day, Joel is a brilliant filmmaker or or was a brilliant filmmaker. And he, you know, he should have probably spent a lot more time in the director's chair because he knew what the hell he was talking about. Um, he was just extremely mercurial um, hmm. and, and wore his passion on the sleeve. And you just had to, you know, you're struggling to get through every day anyways, just to get to the end of the day. And, you know, you knew that was waiting for you at the end of the day, that phone call. So, but I, I,
0: I absolutely agree with you. I, as I mean, Joel is, he's an old fashioned impresario. Yeah, sure. And really he is larger than life. He doesn't know how to live or be any other way. And yeah. And in terms of putting things together that really maybe don't belong together, he is magnificent at, at, at making the unexpected happen. Yeah, but he's part of the unexpected that's going to happen, and that's the problem.
4: Well, yeah, and I think um, you know, it's you just have to kind of live through it. And that was one of the things that I told myself: was was if I was going to do this, do it with that type of sort of weight that sort of damnably is hanging over you. If you think you're going to survive this uh, this industry,
0: when you say live through.
4: Well, I lived through two of them.
0: But, but was there any? But were there particular moments of Joel that you lived through that that uh, have have scorched your memory?
4: Ah, uh, well, let's just put it, it. It it helped build my appreciation for filmmaking and for understanding just how you know how bloody lucky you have to be to sit in that chair and and do the work that you do. Um, it's it, it is capturing lightning in the bottle, and to have somebody with that. Amount of uh, history behind him. I mean, which he definitely had, um, and continues to have. Um, you have to pay attention to what he has to say, even though you're just slaughtered from the day. Um, so it's just it's it's just being able to you know take it and keep going.
0: You have you you have such a good temperament.
4: I, I it's amazing. It didn't <laughs> now, get, didn't I? get didn't get caught. Years later, I'm i really I'm really calm now.
0: Truly, yes, the, the distance helps. I'm, I I know.
4: And so does Gil. And so does Gil. When then, you get it, Gil's defense he he really protected me when it was necessary, <laughs> and I wasn't aware of it.
0: What was he protecting you from?
4: Well, we just had you know we just had a lot of criticism from people. That bought into one storyline that were now being led down another path. And they were like, you know, what the fuck is this about?
0: So you they, had people who were who were married to, to the old story. Well, they were sold that bill of goods. Yeah, you know, yeah, And so that's what they signed up to make. Right. And but so, they, now they want the, you know, the new to be the old and, and this is this is an impossibility.
4: Well, it's not an impossibility. It was just, you know. It was just having to change without being asked is not a really convenient way of doing business.
0: Okay. So that that was really so the issue was really that no one was asked creatively.
4: Not particularly. No, it was it wasn't, you know, it wasn't particularly put up for a vote. So you just again, you just make the best of what you have in front of you. And that's all I could ask of the cast. And you know, that's what we got.
0: The the movie that the cast agreed to was the old version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So with with, uh, all right. So everyone was suddenly handed. Yeah, we're not going to do it that way. We're going to do it this way instead. And that's not the movie that anybody agreed to do.
4: Well, that's what that's not what they signed up for.
0: Right, 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 right.
4: But, But they contractually had agreed to do whatever they had to do.
0: They had agreed to do a movie by that name. And yes, that and it, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, they they had signed the deal, and uh, damn if 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 Joel wasn't
2: holding them, them to it. Well, uh,
4: again, you know, I'm sure somebody was holding Joel's feet to the fire too. To be perfectly frank,
2: I'm not so sure about that, but he certainly was holding our feet. And uh, I remember you and I were dancing as fast as we could,
4: <laughs> oh, look, you don't know, dodging arrows from every direction at the time. But hey, I, you know, we got it, we got that we got it done.
2: Yeah, we got it done, and and done. you know, in reference to Joel Allen, I mean, you you know, I I worked with Joel about thirteen or fourteen years consecutively, and we made a lot of product together. We made a lot of television. We made a lot of movies together, and our relationship was always one of argument. We only argued. In fact, we would have an argument about. I would say, Joel, we're only arguing. Why can't we have a conversation? And he would say, We that's how we speak to each other. It, it's so it's a little bit raised voice, but that's a and I would say, no, I want to have a regular conversation. because we can't have a regular, and we would argue about, about arguing. arguing. <laughs> yeah. But it lasted like 13 or 14 years. And I sometimes look back on that and think, how did, how did I survive? And yet, I think I survived because we're both very passionate about what we wanted to do. Right. Yeah. And, and we both respected that passion in each other.
0: So Ghost Ship was
2: the last movie
0: you made with Joel.
2: Yeah, because as soon as we finished that movie, I was about to come back. I was going to Tahiti for a week and then going back to L.A. and I got a call from Lorenzo and he said, "I want to talk to you when you get back. I've got three scripts here, and I want you to read them and tell me which one you want to do." And was, that's was, the... was,
4: was that Valkyrie?
2: No, no one one was Constantine. Oh, that's it, uh, yeah. one was the uh, the the one that Stallone did Untouch, uh, not the um,
0: Untouchables or Actually, it's The Expendables, which didn't get made until 2010, five years after Constantine got released.
2: And a third one. And and I hung up with him. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you the scripts as soon as you get back, and then you come in. And I hung up with him. Five minutes later, Joel called, screaming and yelling at me, you know, you're making this movie called Gothica. We're making, that's our next movie. And I go, Joel, I just got off the phone, of Lorenzo. And he said, you're not going to work in this town again unless you work for me. I'm going to make sure that you'll never work at Warner Brothers, let alone any other place. And on and on and on. And I got really pissed at him, and I, you know, told him what I thought. And then when I came home, I read the three scripts, and I just said, um, "Can we talk a little bit more about uh, Constantine?"
4: Yeah, which was a great movie.
2: And then and then and then that was the next movie I made, and then from that I made Superman, but it was also with Warner Brothers. Right. So yeah. and and Joel was really really pissed off at me for many years. I think he probably still is.
4: The one thing that kind of really pissed me off about Joel being site specific is that he wouldn't pay for your car service to take it to the premiere of Ghost Ship, right? And when he did that, I stayed for the opening credits and then I left the movie. I didn't stick around. Did you really? I did not stick around. I, yeah. I, I, I was just like I was so pissed for somebody being so goddamn petty. It was I was yeah. wow
0: that 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 was Joel's fuck fuck you to you because you you you'd walked away.
2: Yeah.
4: Yeah, that was just, you know, after all the shit that we went through for him yeah. on those ship, it was just like, you got to be fucking kidding me.
2: And much yeah. of it he doesn't, he didn't even know about. I mean, oh, much shady. of it I, I I didn't even tell him or bother to tell him.
4: Yeah, I mean, but still, it, 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 a, a, to pay for a car service was the deal. I right. It's just absurd, absurdly, absurdly petty. Yeah. Yeah, absurdly petty. After all, you know, not only what, Gil has done for me, but what he did for Joel over all those years was substantial.
0: Mm-hmm. So Gil went his way and Dark Castle went its way. Gil made Constantine and then Batman Returns and then Valkyrie, all big Warner Brother tentpole movies, all made money. Joel and Dark Castle, they went and made Gothica in Montreal with a $40 million budget. It did okay, ultimately bringing in just north of $141 bucks, But the reviews were brutal, picking on the movie's preposterous plot, bad dialogue. But hey, Roger Ebert liked the movie. He gave it three out of four stars. He agreed that it was preposterous, but also enjoyable on its own terms. After that, Dark Castle kept making movies, but with less and less direct involvement in their actual production. Dark Castle might have had a hand in the movie Orphan's development, or they might have just passed it along from point to point while snipping off a piece of ownership, as companies do. They tried to be faithful to the original mandate and remade a non-Castle oldie House of Wax, and then a sequel to House on Haunted Hill. House of Wax did okay. House on Haunted Hill, the sequel, well, it did scary little business. From there, the budgets and the box office got smaller and smaller, as did their actual involvement in the making of any of these movies. Their last produced credit is on the movie Orphan First Kill in 2022. You know, I'd be willing to bet you that producer title is entirely titular. As for the here and now, well, in theory, but only in theory, Dark Castle is still a go in concern. But I wonder how long it's been since anyone actually worked at Dark Castle. Or how long it will be till the Dark Castle finally goes dark. See you next time. The How Not to Make a Movie podcast is executive produced by me, Alan Katz. By Gil Adler. And by Jason Stein. Our artwork was done by the amazing Jody Webster. And Jason Jody, along with Mando, are all the hosts of the fun and informative Dads from the Crypt podcast. Follow them for what my old pal the Crypt Keeper would have called Terrible Weather Crypt Color.